0: Amen. All right. Robert,
1: Carly, you guys here? Did you guys get it right? Okay. Anyway, that might make sense in a second. But uh, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but as Mario mentioned, uh, uh, the high school and junior high, they went to Mount Charleston last week. You guys remember that? Yeah. Okay. Well, apparently, unfortunately, uh, with all those hauling around with the kids last week, their car broke down. Right, guys? Just work with me. Okay. But anyway. Uh, but anyway and so, so anyway, they decided to uh, get away from it all. You know, the car broke down. That's kind of a bummer of the news. And, and, you know, really do it up. So Carly and Robert, they got all dressed up and they had to obviously phone for a cab because the car's in the shop, right? And anyway, they're getting ready to leave and they, they covered up their parakeet and they, they turned on the nightlight. They put their cat outside. Now, one thing you got to know is Robert and Carly, they're big time pet lovers, right? We can at least agree on that, right? So, so they covered the parakeet, put the cat outside, right, for the night. And, and right after that, the taxi cab driver, he arrived and, and so they opened up their front door to leave. But all of a sudden, uh, they open up that front door and the, car, the cat scoots right back into the house, well, they didn't want their cat shut in the house while they were gone because the cat's always trying to get the parakeet. Right? So Carly, she gets, uh, uh, goes to the taxi while Robert, he goes back inside the house to get the car, uh, the cat. But the cat, it runs upstairs. So now Robert's in hot pursuit up, upstairs, right? Well, meanwhile, Carly, she doesn't want the taxi cab driver knowing that the house is going to be empty all night. So she fibs a little bit. Mm-mm. Right. And, uh, and so see what she says is she she says, hey, her husband, uh, she says, uh, he's going to be out just soon. He, he went upstairs to say goodbye to my mother, yeah. to the taxi cab driver. And so a few minutes later, Robert, he makes it back into the cab. He hops in. He says, hey, honey, I'm so sorry. It took so long. And uh, the taxi cab driver, he pulls out, starts going down the road there. And then he continues. He goes, man, that stupid old hag, that stupid old hag. She was hiding under the bed. Yeah. <laughs> But that's all right. I, I, in fact, I got, a, I had to poke her with a coat hanger just to get her to come out. And then I had to wrap her in a blanket to keep her from scratching me. Uh, but that's okay. It still worked. I, I, just hauled her big behind downstairs and I threw her in the backyard. <laughs> and that's right. The taxi cab driver smashed into another car and so ended their wonderful evening. <laughs> How many guys would say that Robin Carly should have just stayed home? You know what I'm saying? Just stay home that night. You know, do, do something different with your car repair difficulties but uh it, what, what was the problem it, the, the whole thing turned into a total wreck right now folks once again i can't think of a better analogy uh than what's going on today okay unfortunately many of the lost people of the world they're if you will riding around with christians right riding around with christians today and what's happening is guess what we're telling the fib we're giving them a different impression of who god really is we're acting like practical atheists and it's the same thing it's, it's a shocking encounter it makes a wreck of a witness. For Jesus, okay? Because we continue to act like practical atheists. Oh, we say we know who God is, right? But half the time with our lips and our lives, we're giving a different impression. We're acting like we don't even know uh, that God's there. And the problem is it just isn't just keeping us from growing in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God, okay? So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're gonna continue our study on the character of God. Now, we've already seen the first thing about God. He's what? Hello, he's real. Okay, we're here for a real reason. The second thing is God, Jesus died on the cross for what? He's personal. He's intimate. A personal, loving relationship with God, the creator of the universe. The third thing, hello, God, is what? He's wise. He knows it all. He never gets it wrong. And so why would you go anywhere else when you need wisdom? Anybody need wisdom once in a while? All right, the rest of your line. Praise God you're here. Okay, yeah, that's true. The fourth thing, hello, God is sovereign. He's in control of all things, and he's so powerful, he will turn all things around together for good for those who love him. Do you love him? That's a promise from our sovereign, wonderful God. The fifth thing, hello, he is powerful. There's just some things in life that God can't take care of. Wrong answer. He can do anything he wants. He can supply any need he wants. It's just awesome. It's incredible. He's got the power to save anybody he wants. I mean, it's just amazing. We saw there. And the last two times we saw the jaw dropper is the sixth thing. God is what? He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. It's the only attribute of a God mentioned in the scripture three different times in a row for emphasis. Okay? And it's not just important. We need to get equipped on this topic because I believe we, the American church, have totally forgotten. This attribute of God, his holiness. And so we began to see that if you want to understand God's holiness, and we should, and some of the best ways to do that is simply look at the reaction of people. Remember that? When they encountered the actual holy presence of God, ah! Right. That's what the Bible says. Right. And then uh, we also saw last time the removal of people. Okay, And there we saw the removal of Nadab and Abihu, Achan, Uzzah, and yes, even in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira. And that showed us that God's not just holy, but God is so holy. He has a what? He has a zero tolerance for sin. What's holy mean without sin? God has a zero tolerance for sin. Listen, He will not put up with the slightest bit of compromise, a small deviation from His will, not even what we would call a teensy weensy little white, whatever color you want to call it, lie. Those people were removed from His presence, just like that, because of those compromise. Okay? And you're, how many of you guys would say that's that's kind of serious? That's a serious truth in the Scripture, right? And it's just like God, folks. What we're going to now see today is, listen, God isn't just holy, 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 and it's not just a serious issue with the reaction of people and removal of people from his holy presence when they dare compromise, okay, and play with sin. But he is loving, and listen, he wants to make sure we get this truth, right? So he gives us reminders over the scripture. We have no excuse for being caught off guard about this truth about God's holiness. And we're gonna take a look over the next several weeks at those reminders he gives us so we don't miss this fact about God's holiness, okay? And that's what we're gonna see, folks, is the reminders for God's people. And the first reminder that we see that God is trying to tell us, here's the dilemma, he is holy, we are not, okay, is in this wonderful analogy here with the tabernacle, okay? The tabernacle, basically, as you can see, that's depicted there in the photo, was the traveling temple. Okay, later during Solomon's time, it got to be stable. But in the beginning, after the exodus, after being led out of Egypt, typifying of sin, there was the traveling tabernacle. Okay, let's go to that account there in Exodus 25. How is God trying to teach us that he is holy, we are not, and we need somebody to save us from this dilemma? Let's take a look there. Exodus 25. If you find Genesis, what do you do? Take it right there. Exodus 25. We're going to look at verses... 1 through 9, Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9, okay? And uh, take a look at this traveling tabernacle thing. What was going on with this thing, okay? And we're going to see a theme as you turn there. We're going to see a constant theme, okay, from God. As he says repeatedly when he starts mentioning these articles, he he says over and over again, make sure you do it exactly like I tell you. Over and over again. Make sure you do it exactly to the pattern I said, but over and over again. Why? Because we're going to see today... There's much more going on that meets the eye. God has given us a reminder. He is holy. We are not even for today. Okay? Exodus 25, verse 1 through 9, as we did and started last week. Let's go ahead and stand together as we read the Holy Word of God. Let's take a look there. Uh, verse 1 says, There, the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring in an offering, and you're to receive the offering uh, for me, okay? He says, from each man whose heart prompts him to give. And these are the offerings you are to receive from them. Okay, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and, and scarlet yarn, uh, fine linen, uh, listen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed uh, red, and hides of what? Sea cows. That's cool. <laughs> Not sea chickens, Tom. Am I the only one that notes these things? Apparently so. Let's move on. Sea cows, all right, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. Okay, the piece. And then have them make a what? Sanctuary for me, God. Listen to this. And I will what? I, God, will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. You may be seated. But as we can see there in this text, this is what blows me away. We see these amazing orders from God. He says, basically, make this traveling sanctuary, okay, and it's special. That's why you have special gems. He didn't say, just use some plastic and cardboard and grab a burlap sack on the way. No, this is special, man. This is because God is special, right? Okay. He says, make it with the special gems, fine linen goat hair, even the hide of a sea cow. That's incredible. Okay. And you might be thinking, okay, so, so what, Pastor Billy? What did you do now? Okay. So, so what do we have? We have, God says, build basically a giant tent, uh, this thing made out of weird animal skins. So what? What's the big deal with this text? Well, folks, here's what's going on. There's much more going on that meets the eye. God, first of all, said to make this. Why? Just because they had nothing to do? They were bored out in the desert? What was the premise? What did he say? He says, make this for me so I can what? Dwell. Listen, I can dwell with you. Now, do you have any idea the significance of what that means? God is saying from the get-go, even though we're in this dilemma, he is holy, we are not, we're separated from him, we deserve to die and go to hell, we're under his wrath. He still wants to dwell with his people. God loves his people so much so that he wants not a faraway external religion with them. He wants an actual intimate personal relationship with his people, okay? But again, that's the dilemma. That's what he wants, but the problem is he is holy, we are not, so we can't have this intimate personal relationship with him, right? And so here's the issue. God knows that, but we don't. How many guys, when you woke up from bed, Uh, before he got saved every day you acknowledge first thing out of your mouth man i'm in a serious dilemma uh god's real he's holy and i'm not and i'm doomed i better find a savior how many guys that just was automatic you just automatically knew that message loud and clear wherever you went no right of course we don't right we had to be informed of that we need to be reminded of that that's what christians we should be doing when we're witnessing and so from the get-go even in the old testament right after being led out of sin out of egypt if you will God immediately begins to do this for the people. A supernatural, multidimensional, infinite holy God, he begins to communicate this problem to tiny, finite, unholy human beings. And what does he do? He uses an external teaching tool to get the job done. Uh, The internet wasn't in function back then. Do you guys realize that? Right? There was no libraries to go check into. Right, There was no TV, and you couldn't hear from uh, Tom Brokenclaw or whatever, or Walter Concrete or all those other guys. Uh, you couldn't do that, right? So how's he going to teach them? An external teaching tool, i.e. the tabernacle. The tabernacle, folks, was God's ongoing visual object lesson designed by him to remind us of this problem. That he is holy, that we are not, and we need somebody to save us from that dilemma. Now, can anybody guess who that person is that saves us from this? Jesus is always a safe answer in church services, in case you're wondering. And that is the correct answer. It's Jesus, right? Okay. Now, just to make sure that we know it's Jesus, we don't just get the truth. Hey, God's holy, we're not, we're doomed. He didn't stop there. When you take a look at the tabernacle, God tells us clearly how to fix it. Anybody glad about that? Right? Haven't you seen those commercials? They talk about, you know, the person's going through a, a, their house explodes or something. The guy says, hey, uh, your house has exploded. And they say, okay, well, what are you going to do to fix it? Oh, I'm just here to report that the house has exploded. I don't know, whatever that commercial is. And it's supposed to be that other one. Life lock. We fixed the whole thing for you. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Aren't you glad that God didn't say, hey, boy, you guys in trouble. You're under my wrath. I'm holy or not. All right. See you later. <laughs> Aren't you glad that he tells us how to fix it? That's what we're going to see. In the tabernacle, right? But oftentimes we don't do our homework. In fact, th- this is the portions of the scriptures, especially when you get into Numbers and Leviticus. Man, we just like, oh man, who's got some coffee? <laughs> we start whipping through and say, man, okay, okay. How so many cubics? How so many? Inside this is a fantastic reminder from God. He's holy. We're not. Praise God. Jesus fixes it for us, okay, and that's what we're going to see today with different clues from that. Now, the first clue reminds us that we need Jesus to get to God to fix the dilemma. He's holy; we are not in the tabernacle. Is with the gate, okay? Let's take a look at that text there, uh, Exodus twenty-seven, verse nine to sixteen. Then God says, "There, uh, make a courtyard for the tabernacle." As you can see, depicted there, okay, enclosed with curtains made from fine linen. Okay. For the entrance to the courtyard, though, make a curtain that is 30 feet long. Fashion it with fine linen and decorate it with beautiful embroidery and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Notice how it's different than the rest. It stands out. Okay. And it will be attached to four posts that fit it into four bases. Okay. So basically, you can see it depicted there, this big, giant uh, perimeter of white. Okay. And yet there was this one little section there in the front okay. that was different. It was eye-popping. Okay, now let's explain what was going on here. The first thing that the Israelites saw and were told to do, God says, first of all, listen, construct a perimeter, and not just a perimeter, but construct a perimeter of fine white linen. Why? Because that represents what? The holiness of God. Okay, and it also revealed, listen, our separation from God. You couldn't go straight into, we'll get to that in a second, the most holy place, the holy of holies. Okay, you can just walk in all of a sudden you're wanting to approach God, but what's the first thing you encounter? Whoa, there's this perimeter. I can't just access it. There's a whole giant perimeter around it, and it's white. God is holy. I am not. I'm separated from it. Do you see what he's doing? He's giving a visual lesson there. Now, but that wasn't the only thing, okay? Uh, God is revealing the separation. He's on the inside. The people are on the outside. But the second thing they were told to do is to construct a what? Here's where the good news comes in. Construct a gate, okay? And make it noticeable so it doesn't blend in. So nobody's no excuse. Oh, I guess there's no way in. I'm doomed. Hey, what's this thing? This is different from the rest. What is this? This is the gate, okay? And to reveal God's desire for fellowship, okay? And this is where we're beginning. Ultimately, the actual, real, holy presence of God is going to be at the very top there, okay, in the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to get there, but we're going to go on a journey chronologically in these articles that shows us the truth that God is holy, we are not, and we need somebody to save us from that. But here's the perimeter. You can't just approach God, In fact, you can't approach God to any other way. You can't hop a fence over here. You can't go in there. And isn't that the same thing today? Is there many ways to heaven? Can you get there this route? Can you go there through Buddhism? How about Mormonism? How about Catholicism? Can you go through workspace? How about self-help and secular psychology? How about shaman? There's only one way in. Sound familiar? There's only one way in today uh, through Jesus, okay? Now, before I get to that, okay, but that's where we're at. We're on the outside, but the good news is there seems to be a way in. There seems to be a way in. And to me, that's just what's absolutely mind-blowing. Did you realize that God did not have to make a gate? Did you realize God in his holiness could have kept the whole perimeter white and shut us out and been totally just and said, here's the news, I'm holy or not, you're doomed. And could have been totally justified after all the way, but he made a gate, okay, he made an entrance showing his desire for relationship, and so that's the issue. Okay, so that's the good news. There's a way in, but here's our dilemma. How are unholy creatures, you and I, cut off from God because of our sin? How are we going to get through that gate? How can we break through this barrier that's separating us from God and have fellowship with him? The safe answer is Jesus. You're catching on. Uh, hopefully, you can catch on better as we go. Uh, and, and of all verbiages for Jesus to use, why do you think he says this, folks? He's going back to the t- the tabernacle. John ten verse nine. What's Jesus say? I am the, gate. I am the gate. Well, how do you get in? Who do you go through? Jesus. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out, and he will find pasture. Not by chance that Jesus is reiterating that. Okay, obviously he knows about the uh, tabernacle and things. But how, what we see here is God is trying to teach us something. He's trying to get us a reminder. Okay, that he is holy, that we are not, that he's made a gateway, and Jesus specifically is that gateway. He is the only way in to a relationship with God. How many guys would say that that is so generous, so cool, so fantastic of God that he'd even let that be known? And we're just getting started. The second clue is what's called the altar of sacrifice. The altar of sacrifice. Let's take a look at that. That's the next thing that you encounter there. And Exodus 27, verse 1 and 8. Use an acacia wood. Make a square altar, as you can see depicted there. Seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long, and four and a half feet high. Okay, this is where they would uh, sacrifice with fire uh, things. The altar must be hollow, made from planks there, and be careful to build it just as you were shown on the mountain. And again, he reiterates, make sure you do it. I don't care if you think it's goofy. I don't think if you agree with it. I don't care if you got to go out of your way. I don't care if it's not easy to build. Do it anyway. Why? Because there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. Okay. But the next thing that you encounter here in this outer court, as it was called, once you made it into the gate, okay, was a sacrificial altar. Listen, it was a massive, as you saw, a massive wooden box that served one purpose and one purpose only. It wasn't just to burn stuff. It wasn't the priest in there having a barbecue, as cool as that is for guys. It was to offer, listen, offer up not even just a victim. Listen, it was an innocent victim. It was to offer up an innocent victim, i.e. an animal, they used back then, for the what? For the forgiveness of guilty, sinful behavior. And this showed us, folks, that if we're going to continue to approach God, to make it to the ultimate goal, the actual holy presence of God, to have that beautiful, intimate relationship with Him, to approach His holy throne, so to speak, we need to have something innocent, something without sin, to pay the price in our place. And again, let's take a look at where we're at here. We made it through the gate. Who's the gate? Jesus. Praise God, there's one way in. Praise God, there's any way in. He's the only way in. Praise God, there's a way in through Jesus. Now, that's where we're at right now. The very next thing in God's order you would encounter is this altar of sacrifice, okay? But that's the dilemma, right? So the picture's clear. God's holy. We're not. Praise God, we made it in through the gate through Jesus, okay? But the question is this. Where are unholy, guilty creatures going to get not just a sacrifice. Where are we going to get an innocent sacrifice? Number one, none of us are. And number two, the Bible says the blood of animals could never really take away sin. It was symbolic. How are we going to get it? Where is that innocent sacrifice going to come from? Thank you. You're finally catching on. took a couple of times, but we're getting there. And this is why we see this in the Bible. Again, nothing's by chance, not one jot, not one tittle in the scripture. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. For God sent Jesus to what? take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger or wrath against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, what? Sacrificing his life for us. Very interesting. We're going right down the list. God is trying to teach us one. I'm telling you, I, I know it sounds redundant, but this is what blows me away. God did not have to tell us any of this stuff. He didn't have to tell us the problem. He didn't have to make a way to fix it, and he didn't have to tell us how to fix it. He could have nuked us, nuked the whole planet, and started all over. And he goes to great detail. He's showing us that he is holy, we are not, and specifically, so you don't miss the message. Woo! Good news. Jesus and Jesus alone is the innocent sacrifice needed to have a relationship with God. Isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful reminder from God. But we're still, again, just getting started. The third clue, the next thing you see in the outer court there is what's called the labor of cleansing. Okay, Let's take a look at what they would encounter after that altar of sacrifice. Exodus 30, verse 18 through 20. Make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Okay, Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Why? Because Aaron and his sons, the priests, are to wash their hands and feet and water from it. Why? Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water. Why? So that they will not, what? Die. This isn't just an option. It's just not, you know, that, you know, hey, cleanliness is the next thing to godliness. You know, it's not just that. Hey, good hygiene. Why don't you guys have? You don't do this, guys. I don't care if you think it's goofy. I don't care what you do. Do this exactly as I tell you. Why? Because there's something more going on that meets the eye. You better wash yourselves. You better cleanse yourselves because you're about to enter into what's called the most holy place. See, now the whole time we've been in the outer court and you better wash yourselves clean or you will die. Serious stuff. Okay? And that's what we see here. The second thing you encounter now, you get in there, okay, is this labor of cleansing. It's a large water basin, you just saw. The priests had to wash themselves in it or they would die. And this showed us that if we're going to continue to approach a holy God, we need something to cleanse us from all our defilement and our sin. So let's take a recap. Once again, the holy perimeter, that represents God. We are separated from Him. Here's the good news there's one way in and one way only. Praise God, there's even a way. Mm hmm. And that's through Jesus. Hey, we need a sacrifice. In fact, it's got to be an innocent victim. Hey, that's Jesus too. Hey, wonder of one. What's the next thing you come to this giant water basin and you better get cleansed or you're going to die In the presence of a holy God Okay, and so so that's what we see here and that's what's going on Okay, and so the question that's the dilemma. So God showed us the picture. He gave us the reminder. Nobody has an excuse to know Oh, no, I didn't know. No, it's there So how in the world are we gonna get this fixed? How are unholy sinful creatures gonna get something? That is sufficient to truly not just get some of this stuff off. we got to get it all off. Who and what is going to be able to cleanse us from sin, especially when the Bible says water can't do it. Even baptism as New Testament Christians, that doesn't save you. It's symbolic. What are we going to do? Who can cleanse us from sin? sin? Hey, we're getting better, praise God, as we go along. Let's take a look. And you wonder why the Bible says this? Are you really kidding, folks? It's not by chance. Hebrews 9, 22 and 14, and according to the law, One may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. How much more then will the blood of who? Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Interesting. It's like when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament and you put it all together. It's like a really profound message from God. For everybody to know. I'm kind of thinking it goes something like this, Tom. Um, God is holy and we are not, and Jesus and Jesus is alone. His blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin, all defilement, and now you're ready to go into the most holy place. Isn't that fantastic? No excuse for anybody. Okay, now the fourth clue we're gonna see, uh, reminding us, because we still got articles to go. Is what was called the table of showbread, and then we're gonna double up also the lamb. But let's take a look at what's going on there. Exodus 25, 23, 30, and 31, 37, and 40. Okay, make a table of acacia wood, as you can see there, two cubits long, a cubit wide, a cubit and a half high. Okay, put the bread of the presence on this table before me at all times. God says, then make a lampstand, as you can see there, a pure gold hammer it out. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. See that you what? Once again, what's he say? Make it according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Don't get anything wrong. I don't care if you agree with it, disagree with it, whatever. Do it exactly like I tell you. Why? Because again, there's much more going on than meets the eye. So in the whole time we've been in this outer court, now you're going into the inner court. You're going into the holy, most holy place, and you see two things right out of the gate. Okay, uh, not that out of the gate. That's a euphemism, by the way. <laughs> don't want to confuse you in our chronological order. Uh, but anyway, you enter into the holy place, okay? And it's the second stage, of, if you will, of the tabernacle. And of all things, for God says to put in here, it's not a flat screen TV, right? It's not plumbing, right? He says this, I want you to get this uh, stuff here. I want bread and light. Bread and light. Bread and light, what? Okay? Now, here's the issue. Back in those days, bread and light, that was some really big deal. Okay, that, that was a big deal. Listen, bread was the staple food at mealtime. Okay? It's used all throughout this scripture. Bread, uh, it, it, you, know, you break bread, we do communion. Bread, bread was thing, it, it, bread represented sustenance, provision, right? And so God has. This sustenance, this bread, this provision that's inside there. Now, secondly, uh, light represented not just sustenance, but a literal source of light. Okay, a source of light. Because if you didn't have light back in those days, especially at night, your life really could be in danger. Serious stuff. People come in and rob and whatever. They didn't have electricity like we do today. Okay, things of that nature. So the bread and light in the tabernacle now showed us that if we're going to have a relationship with God, we better have some serious sustenance. We better have a source of life, right? How are we gonna, we're dead in our sins. scripture. How are we going to get life? Okay, and let's again take a look at where we're at. Once again, the perimeter represents God. We are separated from him. Praise God, there's a way in. Okay, that's through the gate. That's through Jesus. We've got an innocent sacrifice. His name is... Jesus right and then we were cleansed from our sins through Jesus now we're continuing on now We're going into the most holy place and the first thing you see there is those two articles there You need bread you need light, okay You need sustenance and you need some source of life uh, to bring you from that So that's the question. That's the dilemma It's loud and clear where our unholy creature is going to get a source of life from especially when bread and light can't do it Right. Do we come to life when we take the symbolic gesture of communion? Breaking the bread and... and, No, it's symbolic. right? Bread can't save you, right? So what are we going to do, right? We we flip on the lights. Hey, I'm holy. It doesn't work that way. It's symbolic. So where are we going to get a source of bread and light so that we can come to... Yeah, you preempted it, but I'll still take it. What's the answer? Jesus, right? And of all things for Jesus to say... Why do you think he says this? He just randomly picked out an analogy? No, he's going back to the tabernacle. John chapter 6, 51 and 8, 12. I am the living what? Bread. bread. Jesus speaking. Why of all things did he say that? Okay, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will what? He'll live forever. That's your source of life, folks. That's your sustenance. And when Jesus spoke again to the people, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. So I think it's pretty clear. Once again, I'm starting to see a pattern here. No excuses. No excuse. You may not like the news that God is holy. We are not. We're separated from him. We deserve to die and go straight to hell. You're under his wrath. But there's no excuse for you to not know the good news. Jesus is the source of life that we need, that we partake of in faith so that we could have eternal life with God. Absolutely amazing. Let's take a look at one more, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Another, Let's double them up there. The fifth clue that we see is with the veil and the Ark of the Covenant. Let's take a look at those passages. Exodus 26, 31, 33, and 25, 10, 18, and 22. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen with cherubim worked into it by a skilled craftsman. The curtain will separate the what? Holy place from the most holy place, and then have a chest of acacia wood there, two and a half cubits long, cubit half wide, a cubit half high, and make two cherubim. As you can see, they're angels with their wings going up top, hammered gold at the ends of the cover. There, as you can see, what the light was symbolizing there between the two cherubim of the Ark of the Testament, I God will what? God will meet with you right in between that spot where you saw the glowing light, His actual holy presence. With the Israelites. That's pretty intense. Okay? And so here we see the last thing you encounter before you enter into what was called the Holy of Holies. Right? It was first of all, there was a veil that separated that. Okay, and then behind that veil was the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God. Okay? And the veil was huge, right? It wasn't just this little thin thing, right? made a crochet, as cool as crochet is for ladies. Backstroke and ministry. No, this thing was huge. I mean, super thick. You're not any just way beyond a phone book. You ain't ripping it with. You. This is serious stuff, serious, serious veil. Man is not going to rip this baby, okay? And it, 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 again, it was the last protective barrier from the actual holy presence of God. Now the ark, as you saw, of course, represented the actual holy presence of God, and that's why uh, when the priests would move it, they would literally, you know, because this was traveling. When they would go, they had to pack all this stuff up. Right? And move it until they stopped again, unpack it, right? God wanted to be with his people wherever they went. It was a traveling tabernacle. It wasn't until later in Solomon's time, many centuries later, it became a permanent structure. But God, from the get go, wanted to travel and be with his people at all times, wherever they went, just like today. We'll get to that in a second. But but when they had to pack things up, when it came to the ark, okay, uh, the priests, when they would move it, listen, and if you can picture, behind me would be the ark. They would literally walk in backwards, not even looking at it, and then drape it. I, I, I can't even look at this. This is, this is it. This is the final barrier. This represents the actual holy presence of God, okay? And they would do that uh, so they wouldn't look at it and die, okay? And then only once a year, and only the high priest once a year entered into that holy place the holy of holies to sprinkle blood on the ark to obtain god's forgiveness for the people that's what was done there and again let's recap one last time you got the holy perimeter separating what's the message god is holy you're not you're separated from me praise god the good news starts here there's the gate there's a way in that's through jesus who's the innocent sacrifice once again that's jesus who cleanses us from all of our defilement our sins that's jesus now we get to go into the holy place right and so the, who's the light and who's the bread Right, Jesus, okay, and then now you're right there at the very back end see the curtain there, the veil, behind that is the Ark of the Covenant so here's the issue, where are unholy creatures going to find it? listen, a high priest because that's the issue only the high priest could go in there nobody can go in there, all in themselves you're going to die Not even a regular priest can go in there. It had to be and could only be the high priest. Where are we going to find a high priest to go through the veil to offer the holy blood sacrifice acceptable to God so that all the people could be forgiven? We can't do it. Oh, that was really lame. As cool as that was, Tom, I'll give you kudos for that. His name is Jesus. Jesus. Once again, this is what we see in the Gospels and in the book of Hebrews. One little verse in Matthew 27. Do you have any idea how much this must have freaked out the the priests in the temple? Matthew uh, 27, 51, and then Hebrews 10, 19, 21, 22. Matthew 27. First, At that moment, when Jesus was raised from the dead, what happened? The temple curtain, the veil, what? Ripped in two from top to bottom. Do you have any idea how much the priesthood must have freaked out? What was the first thing recorded? It's just one verse. How many times have we skipped over this? The first thing that happened after the resurrection of Christ, that huge, thick veil that man couldn't do, was ripped, not a little, not halfway, not made a little hole to squeak in from top to bottom. Completely ripped open. What's that mean? God The barrier is gone. God's coming out. God's not confined to a box. We'll get to where did he go in just a second. But isn't that wild? He broke the veil. Jesus broke the veil once and for all. He doesn't have to keep doing this once a year. Once for all. It's completely torn from top to bottom. Then there was an earthquake and rocks were split into pieces. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can what? Boldly enter heaven's what? Most holy place. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, listen, let us go right into the presence of God. Do you have any idea how profound that is? We're going into the presence. What did he win for us? Absolutely. Mind-blowing. God has shown us something absolutely incredible. How could we ever miss this? He's saying, listen, yes, I am holy. Yes, you are not. But here's the good news. Jesus is the high priest who takes us right into my very holy presence. Hebrews says that we now have access to the very throne room of God to boldly approach him with confidence. Man, being a Christian is boring. I don't know, I'm just, all oh, it is, I just got a bunch of do's and don'ts, and wow, isn't this amazing? But there might be a couple of out there saying, okay, Pastor Bill, that's kind of cool, you know, boy, you whipped it out on the animation, somebody's still feeding you that bacon or something, I don't know, it's three weeks in a row, and then that's kind of neat, you know, neat study, you know, that's, you know, Jesus, the symbolism, you know, and all that stuff, and, and that's, you know, I, 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 but I know that stuff, that's Sunday school stuff, what's the big deal? You better slap that off your mouth. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? If that really is your attitude, listen. it not only shows you don't know all that stuff, then apparently. Number two, the big deal is, this shows us listen, because we're not done. See oh, we're done with the. Ta- the tabernacle, listen. let me explain it before you call me a heretic. The tabernacle is still in effect today. I'll get to it in a second. The big deal is this truth shows us not only how to get to heaven through Jesus all the way through to fix the dilemma. God's holy. We're not. Number two, it shows us, Christian, where the tabernacle went. And when you get that, it shows you how to live life here on earth before you get to heaven. Okay, and this is what the Bible says. Christian, do you not know? We have become the temple of God. And that his Holy Spirit is not stuck in a box. He's inside of us now. This is what Paul says. And he he even says it like that. Like, aren't you guys getting this yet? Are you serious? You don't know this? 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17. Don't you realize that all of you together, church, Christian, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God is where? He's in us. God will bring to ruin anyone who ruins this temple. For God's temple is what? Holy. It's always been holy. But here's the difference. You, Christian, are that temple. Can I translate that for you? We have become the traveling tabernacle. We are the traveling tabernacle, and that our privileged duty is, as we carry around the Holy Spirit of God, we show people there's only one way in. It's through Jesus. And it's his sacrifice that is offered up the innocent victim on our behalf for our crimes against God. He cleanses us from all of our sins as the tabernacle. And the way to get into that wonderful life of God and our relationship is Jesus has become our sustenance and our, our life. He gives us eternal life with the, the bread and the, and the light. And, and there was separation, but Jesus. He separated and tore that veil in two, and, and he's our high priest now. His blood sprinkled on that once for all, cleanses those and makes it acceptable so that through him, now we become his traveling tabernacles, and we have direct access to the holy presence of God. You know what I just did? I witnessed. But I witnessed is what? The traveling tabernacle. It's all wrapped up in there. Isn't that wild now, that's witnessing. But I'll tell you, when you realize, Christian, that God is not afar off. He's not over in Israel inside of a tent structure in a box. He's with you wherever you go as the traveling tabernacle. Now, when you get that, man, your behavior changes like that. Let me give you one analogy. One day, listen, this uh, Christian mother, she visited her son at secular college. And upon entering his dorm room there, Uh, Her eye swept across the walls of his room, and she noticed that the plastered all over the walls was about a dozen suggestive pictures. Her heart, as a mom, as a Christian, was grieved, but she said nothing to him. Listen, several days later, though, the mailman delivered a package to the young man, and it was a gift from his mom, and it was a beautifully framed picture of Jesus. So proudly, professing to be a Christian himself, the boy hung the picture of Jesus on the wall right above his desk. But immediately, things began to change. That night before he went to bed, the boy looked over and he saw the picture of Jesus and and he removed the pinup picture which hung closest to the picture of Jesus. And then the next day, another picture was consigned to the trash basket. And in fact, day after day, the pictures began to disappear from the walls until finally only one remained, the picture of Jesus. And folks, let me tell you, That boy's behavior changed overnight simply because he was confronted with one holy picture of Jesus. Listen, it got rid of a lot of unholy behavior, did it not? Listen, here's the punchline. We Christians do not have an external picture of Jesus on our walls. Listen, we've got the actual Holy Spirit of God in our hearts. That's what Paul says. Don't you realize We have become the temple of God. We have become the traveling tabernacles. Now, think of what this means. The same God whose holiness caused people to shut their mouths, fear for their lives, fall flat on their face, suck garbage. He's inside of us now, wherever we go. The the, the same God whose holiness has a zero tolerance for sin. He instantly removed people from his presence for the slightest bit of compromise, a a tiny deviation from his will, a teensy-weensy little lie. That means everything we see into this temple, he sees. Everything we listen to, we are forcing him to listen to, if you will. Everything we say, he he hears it all. Everywhere we go, he's with us. Everything we do, he sees it all, good or bad. I don't know about you, but when we finally... Get that point that Paul's trying to say, don't you realize? Okay, time to clean house. And you don't need a sermon from me, and I don't need a sermon from somebody else. When we realize that we are the traveling, holy tabernacles of God, it'll clean you up. And you know what the benefit of that is? Certainly for us. But now what are we doing? We're being those holy examples to the lost around us. Who are what? Who were still under the illusion, thinking that somehow they can get to heaven on their own. And they need, to re- they need to see in us as the traveling tabernacles the message God is holy, we are not. But here's the good news as you can see through my holy life, backing up this holy truth by the power of God's Spirit, Jesus is the only way in. The only way in, he's the sacrifice. He'll cleanse you from sin. He gives you eternal life. He becomes your sustenance. He'll shred that veil of separation, and he becomes your high priest, and he will make you acceptable before God forever and ever and ever. That's why God takes it serious what we do with this temple. That passage, is to me, is one of the most abused passages in the New Testament. Because people read that completely out of context. Don't you realize that God will take, you know, you know, do something bad? If you defile that temple, he'll destroy you. And they think he's talking about food. Right? See, you've got to start working out. Eat right, because God's going to... Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of yourself. But in the context of our study, what's he talking about? He ain't talking about working out. He's talking about sin. He's talking about the need to be that holy, consistent example. Why? Because our world needs to know this message. There's no excuse. Yes, we saw the reaction of people in His holy presence. Yes, we saw God's removal. But here's just one reminder. We're just getting started. In the scripture, God says, hey, I'm holy. You are not. But here's the good news. I made a way you can enter in. Why? Because the penalty is you miss out on You know, you're just going to forever be suffering under a poor economic status if you don't accept Christ your Savior. You know, you're just, you know, no, no, you're just going to miss out on this. No, you know what it is? Why was Jesus' sacrificed To save us from the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is what we're all under unless we take the way out. The wrath of God continues forever in hell. If you don't want to choose his wonderful grace and take the only way out, praise God, there even is a way out. You will remain under the wrath of God both now and forever. Now, here's my question. I'm not here to get you to doubt your salvation because once we're saved, praise God, we're forever saved. When he cleanses us, he cleanses us forever, right? Well, as we've talked before in many other studies, you look around the American church today, how many people are coming? but they've never really accepted Christ as their Savior. They still think it's by going to church services. They still think it's by trying to be a good person and clean up their own act. And if that's the case, the wrath of God will be poured out on you. I hope that's none of us here today. There's only one way out. And that's through Jesus. This is not a game. There's only one way to escape His wrath, and that's through Jesus. But will His wrath be poured out on you? We'll close in prayer after this.
0: Someone had to drink the cup of God's wrath. My dear friend, if you are saved here tonight, you are not saved merely because the Romans beat Jesus. You are not saved merely because they nailed Him to a tree. If you are saved, you are saved, because when He was nailed to that tree He bore your sin and God the Father crushed His only begotten Son. It was God who had to measure out the punishment. It is God who had been offended. It was God's wrath that had been kindled. It is God's justice that had to be poured out. Someone to save a people for God had to interpose and suffer the judgment, the wrath, the justice of God. It is though with one hand, God is holding back His justice against this world, and with another hand, He is pleading for men to come. But one day, both hands will be dropped. You know that, don't you? Let me give you another example. Heaven is heaven because God is there. Well, that is is most—that is true. But then the counter is not true. Hell is hell because God's not there. That's not what Scripture teaches. Hell is the wrath of Almighty God. It is his perfect justice revealed against men throughout an eternity. That the wrath of God will come in such a way that men will cry out, the great captains and leaders of this world will cry out that the rocks fall upon them to hide them from the wrath of, of the, the Lamb. Lamb, of the Lamb, of the Lamb. The wrath of God. Well, I just don't believe that. Well, just what you believe doesn't really matter. What does Scripture teach? The sense of being cut off from His favorable presence, of dying without Him. Separation. And then, not just separation, but wrath. Justice, Had to be poured out. It had to be. Now, it will be poured out on some of you. I'm not a prophet. I have no insight into your heart. But it would be very vain and unwise to suppose that every human being listening to my voice, whether here or via the internet or whatever, is truly. A child of God, wrath will be poured out on some of you throughout an eternity in hell because of the crimes you have committed and will continue to commit throughout all eternity. The raging of your heart against the sovereignty of a good God. Filth, the guilt, the shame before a holy God. The sense of being cut off from His favorable presence, of dying without Him. It will be poured out on some of you, you. but wrath, The wrath of God. It will be poured out on some of you. But wrath, the wrath of God. It will be poured out on some of you. but wrath. The wrath of God. Hell is the wrath of almighty God. The wrath, the wrath, the wrath, the wrath of God. The the wrath of God. the The wrath of God. It will be poured out on some of you. It will be poured out on some of you.
1: I don't want to add insult to injury, but the guy also had uh, stated something similar to another audience, and they started clapping just like that. And he said, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. I don't know your heart, and I'm not here to freak you out. I would hope that everybody here today is a true born-again Christian. But if you're not, and if you're not sure, you better make sure today. Because the wrath of God of your own doing, because you spurned his holy way out through Jesus, will be poured out on you. Don't stay in that state for one second. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Acknowledge What God is teaching us here today in the tabernacle, he's holy, we're not. But I take the one way in through Jesus. It's his sacrifice. It's his blood that cleanses me. He's the light of life. He's my sustenance. He's the only one that can get rid of this veil of separation. He is my high priest in faith, and he will cleanse me and make me acceptable and free me from the wrath of God. Do it today. Amen? And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.